this morning I have a message for you guys that I believe is super, super relevant, super, super timely for you all, um, for myself included, and something that I believe is a deep, deep part of God's heart that is unfortunately, uh, I believe, neglected and I believe not being nurtured quite in the way that God designed it to be. Um, and so this morning with a ton of humility, knowing that I'm not going to be able to answer all your questions, um, I'm just going to come before you, open the scriptures and share what I believe to be God's heart for unity in the body of Christ with you guys this morning. Share with you guys about unity in the body of Christ. This morning, I'm going to share with you that I believe unity in the body is God's will. It's God's command and it's God's plan. Unity in the body is his will, his command, and his plan. So the scripture we're going to be in is John chapter 17, verse 20 to 23. A little context here. Uh, this is right before Jesus was uh, betrayed by Judas and taken eventually to the cross where he was crucified for us and for our sins. Right before that, we get an entire chapter, John 17, where Jesus is praying to God the Father. There's so much intimacy and so much to be gained from reading this chapter of scripture. It'd be kind of like if I had a manuscript of, of your prayers, maybe, and I read through that, that would be a pretty intimate look into your life, right? If I somehow could read your prayer, okay, it'd be intimate for me. <laughs> so it'd be an intimate look in all of our lives, I hope, if we're praying and if we're vulnerable with God. So I think the same thing's true in John chapter 17. Jesus is praying to God the Father and there's so much vulnerability here and we really get to see what Jesus's heart, particularly in this passage for us as the believers to come is. So we're gonna have a look at John chapter 17, Jesus's prayer right here. Uh, it says, I am not praying only for these disciples, but also for all who will ever believe in me through their message. That's you guys. That's me. Those of us who are the saints and believe in the message because of Jesus and the disciples. I pray that they may all be one, just as you and I are one, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you. The same unity that Jesus has with the Father, Jesus is praying that we would have with one another. The same unity. That's what he's praying for. And may they be in us so that the world will believe that you sent me. I have given them the glory you gave to me so they may be one just as we are one. Anytime there's this much repetition in the Bible, it's probably important, right? Jesus is extremely repetitious in these three verses. He says, may they be one just as you and I are one. I am in them, you are in me. May they experience perfect unity that the world may know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So good. Let's pray before we get too deep into it. Father God, we give you this morning, Lord. We're so grateful to be in your presence, to open up your scriptures, Father. And I pray that as I read them, you would anoint the words read and anoint the words that I speak, Lord, that we could grow closer to one another in unity for we believe it's your will, it's your command and your plan, Lord. So bless this morning in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Have any of you guys ever been to Baja, Mexico? Couple hands, cool. Did anyone grow up there? No? Okay. I want to meet somebody who grew up there. Baja, Mexico, in my opinion, is like proper Wild West. It's amazing. Once you get below like Rosarito, Ensenada area, it turns into like 
dirt roads, amazing cliff faces. Picture Carlsbad cliffs, but with like dirt roads along the coast. Um, where I've been, you can camp on the beach, you can build a fire, you can fish, you can surf. It's kind of like a outdoorsman's paradise. It's, it's pretty amazing. And so me and my friends go down there periodically to get away. Where we go, there's no cell phone service, and we're just surfing, swimming, fishing, camping, building fires. It's a ton of fun. Generally, we go from Thursday night till Saturday night, okay? And so we go for a few days, and then we come back up. There's about a five-hour drive to get back up from where we go. We come back with memories, with excitement. We're feeling free. We haven't been on our phones in, in a few days. It's amazing. Then we get to the borderline, and all of a sudden, who's tried to wait in the borderline on a Saturday night? For those who haven't, be warned. Y'all know this is the busiest border crossing in the world, not the country, the world. Biggest border crossing in the world. So you're like on a Saturday night, you can't even see it. Like your, your GPS says you're, you're a quarter mile away from the line and it says six hour ETA. No joke, six hours. And so we're saying, here's, a, here's, a, here's to give some context. One time I watched the entire season eight of The Office in the borderline. The whole thing. That is a true story. <laughs> and so this line is buku, crazy. And so all these, all these uh, memories, this time off your phone, this inner tranquility that you have, see you later, gone, six hours in a line, right? But then all of a sudden, you're like, well, we're in this line. We might as well make the best of it. And so there's these people running in between the cars, bartering stuff like Mexican Coke, like these crazy chip things that I've never had. Someone, I don't know. This, the, you got churros out of a bucket. Like you got puppies for sale. It's crazy. I will neither confirm nor deny whether we bought a puppy there. Like it is wild, this line, right? And so I'm looking around and this line is multicultural, multilingual, multiracial, multiethnic, multigenerational, right? This line's crazy diverse. But we're united, despite our differences, we're united by the fact that we gotta wait. We ain't going anywhere, right? And so we're like, we might as well bond over bucket churros and puppies. That's what, it, that's what goes down for six hours, you know? And by the end, you're like giving hugs to people, exchanging phone numbers. You're like, this is my family right here. Six, six hours is crazy. So by the time you get up, all that's gone. And because even though what would separate you, the stress of waiting for six hours in a line, I'm like, man, the reason we're leaving on Saturday is so I can be at church. I got to work tomorrow, right? But I'm getting home at 3 a.m. All the stress from that six hours actually begins to dissipate because we're united around kind of the fun and the camaraderie of waiting in this line together, right? Puppies, churros, and Coke. Nothing like it. It's the Trinity. No, I'm sorry. This, I'm sorry. It's amazing though. This is a shallow example of the unity that I believe the church is supposed to be. Unity in the church is supposed to be multiracial, multiethnic, multigenerational, multilingual. It's supposed to be diverse. And that which unites us in Christ is so much more than that which would 
divide us. That which unites us is so much greater than a six-hour border crossing. And that which divides us is a heck of a lot less. So if we can focus on that which unites us, I believe today we're going to leave knowing that unity is God's will, it's his command, and it is his plan. And the stakes are a whole lot higher than a six-hour wait in a borderline. They're eternal stakes. And so we ought to figure this out, right? Particularly if God says it's his command. So today we're going to look at scripture and we're going to talk about unity. And my hope is that we would leave with this commission to be unified as the body of Christ. You guys with me? We good? Okay, cool. Unity is God's plan, excuse me, his will, his command, and his plan. Let's define unity real quick. Unity is the organic, diverse, spiritual state of alignment and oneness based on common ground in Christ by the power of the Spirit. Note that it does not negate individuality, but it contextualizes it. And also note that it does not mean agreement in all things. Did I agree with everybody in the borderline? No, we just all like puppies. Who doesn't like puppies? We're not gonna agree on everything. That unity does not mean agreement in all things. It does, however, I believe, in the church setting, it does mean diversity. Unity is not contingent upon agreement, but it is contingent upon diversity, particularly in the body of Christ. And this diversity is multi-ethnic, multi-generational, multilingual, multiracial. Diversity in the body is crucial and it's a huge part of God's heart for the church. And when we are only gathering in a holy huddle with people who look like us, we're missing 99% of what God has for us. He's got so much more than just gathering together in a little circle with people who look, talk, and act like us. Unity doesn't mean agreement in all things, but it does mean alignment and oneness. And diversity is a fruit of unity. So today... We're gonna talk about how it's God's will, it's his plan, and it's his command. Now, we wouldn't have to talk about this if this wasn't a problem, would we? Like, we, I wouldn't be up here talking to you about unity if we were experiencing perfect unity. Jesus wouldn't be praying for unity if he thought we were gonna experience perfect unity, would he? But instead, he prays to the Father in this moment before he dies, in this intimate moment that we would experience unity with one another. The problem is that we're divided. Culturally, worldwide, but let's take America, for example. Bill Schneider for an article on the Hill said, America has not been this divided since the Civil War. And that was when we were killing each other, like the nation hold apart. We haven't been this divided since then. In the New York Times, James Monroe wrote this, the most passionate differences ringing through American history are now organized into political parties. These parties are generally divided further by race and age. And so a simple debate about health care or how to resolve inequality devolves into, catch this, an irreconcilable conflict. Both parties are deeply enmeshed in feelings about the identity because each draws people who see themselves as fundamentally different than the other side. And social media has only served to exacerbate this, hasn't it? 
Now we all have these platforms where we create this shrine of ourselves and we shout our accomplishments, our achievements, our dreams, our opinions, and whoever's shouting the loudest wins. That's the culture we're living in right now. Whoever is shouting the loudest is winning. And unfortunately, it seems the church isn't that much different. But scripturally, we're supposed to be, right? I think in San Diego, I grew up in North Carolina. San Diego is a bit of a breath of fresh air. I'll tell you, I'll tell you that, local San Diegans. But I grew up in North Carolina. And if you drive down downtown Raleigh, you will see six different churches on six different blocks with six different beliefs about when we should baptize and how often we should take communion based on their denomination. Division. Now, is communion and baptism crucially important to our faith? Absolutely. But that which divides us should not be stronger than Christ, who is that which unites us. Imagine if those six churches were unified and they were, and they were pouring into each other to affect the community and the culture around them. Come on, that's God's plan. That's God's heart. The church has to be different. The church has to embrace that that which unites us is so much stronger than that which divides us. So, if unity in the church is God's will, his command, and his plan, let's get into that. It's his will, first of all. Unity in the church is God's will. We'll be in John chapter 17, verse 21 for this one. Again, this is Jesus praying. He says, I pray that they will be one, just as you and I are one. When asked how we should pray in Matthew chapter six, Jesus responds, pray, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done. If you invite me over to your house and you say, Lindsay, we're gonna throw this party for you and your will be done. I'm probably gonna have basketball up on the TV, maybe surfing. We're gonna have tacos. My wife's gonna convince me to make it a themed party. She's gonna try to make me wear a wig. She's gonna bring our cats. Like, if it's Lindsay's will, you're gonna get cats and tacos. When we pray God's will, we get unity, don't we? God's will for the church is unity, and I know that because Jesus prayed for it. You don't pray for things that aren't your will, right? Jesus prayed that we would be one just as him and the Father are one. And prophetically, we see this in Revelation chapter seven. It says that every tribe, every tongue, every creed, every nation gathering before the throne of God and praising Jesus saying, worthy is the lamb who was slain. That's where we're heading. So prophetically, we know God's will is gonna be done. So what are we doing in the meantime to achieve that will for him? He says, my prayer is that you would be united. He says, my will is that you would be united. And he says, prophetically, you will be united. So why are you functioning in division in the meantime? If you know it's my will and you know that's where we're heading, what are we gonna do in the meantime about it? Unity, first of all, is God's will. Secondly, unity is God's command. Unity in the church is God's command. Let's get out of the way, first of all, that when God commands something, we ought to pay attention to it, right? His command supersedes your opinion. Is that fair? Okay. His command supersedes our opinions. 
If we believe that the Bible is the inerrant, infallible, spoken word of God inspired by the Spirit, his commands supersede our opinions. And so we see this in, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 3. It says, make every effort command to keep yourselves united in the Spirit. The NIV says, to eagerly maintain your unity. Make every effort to eagerly maintain your unity in the Spirit. Bind yourselves together with peace, for there is one body, one spirit, just as you have been called to one glorious hope in the future. One body, one spirit, one hope. Now, when your body is functioning in oneness, that feels pretty good, right? Like you can move, you can groove, pain-free, ache-free. That's nice, right? Anybody in the room ever had back pain? Ooh, I came from the fitness world, so I know statistically 70% of y'all have back pain. Just the facts of the matter. It's probably going up too. When y'all have back pain, generally it's not just your back that's affected. Generally that back might be tight, sure, but generally that's contributed to by an overactive hip flexor. Come on, overactive hip flexor, underactive core, underactive glutes. I like to say your glutes are turned off. When your glutes are turned off, you're going to have some pressure in your back because your back's carrying that extra load that the hip flexors, the core and the back are, and the glutes are not, correct? When the body isn't functioning in its individual pieces correctly, the whole body suffers, right? Notice at the beginning, we said that unity does not negate your individual giftings, right? But it contextualizes them, correct? And so when we see in Ephesians chapter three here that we should make every effort to keep unity in the body and we are one body, one spirit, and one hope, then when we feel these little aches and pains in the body, we might not be functioning in the unity that Christ has for us. And we see a little diagnostic test here in Ephesians chapter four as well. Here's what it says. So Ephesians chapter four, Paul begins to give symptoms of division and symptoms of unity. I'm gonna read this list and I just encourage you as I read it, use it as a litmus test in your life. Do you see more fruit of division in your life? Do you see more fruit of division in your church? Or do you see more unity, fruit of unity in your life, fruit of unity in your church? And if it's a command, we should pay attention to it, right? Okay, so division, symptoms and fruit of division. Separation from the life that God has for us. Ignorance, hard-heartedness, being given over to all sensuality, indulging in every kind of impurity and greed. If we're honest, all of us probably have at least one of those symptoms, right? Can we be honest? We all have at least one of those. Maybe one of y'all, maybe you got like a two out of 10 back pain. Okay, you can function. It'd be nice if it was a zero, right? Some of y'all are hunched over, full-on division. We're suffering from all of these symptoms, all of these fruit. But God would have us walk in unity and not experience any of these, right? So the flip side of the coin is living a life united. Here's the symptoms of those, the fruit of those. Living a life worthy of your calling. Making allowance for each other's faults. Whoo, that's good, huh? Being locked down for COVID, now y'all know exactly what your partner or your, your like kids, you know their faults well. 
Are you making an allowance for those faults? You tell me. Humility, gentleness, patience, forbearance with one another means bearing with one another in love, speaking the truth in love. That's hard because sometimes the truth kind of hurts, right? Honesty, working hard, only speak, how's this? Check this out. If this was our lens for everything we spoke, I think the world would be crazy. It says, only speaking that which is helpful for building each other up according to their needs. Whoa. What if that was the filter over our mouth? I'm only going to speak something that is beneficial to you that might build you up according to your needs. That's a symptom of unity. That's a fruit of unity. Being free of all bitterness, anger, and rage, kindness and compassion and forgiveness. These are the fruits of unity. And if we're walking around crippled, the back ain't functioning right, the body isn't united the way it's supposed to be, then we should look at these fruits and be like, what can I do to get back on that? Back on that produce card. I want those fruits. I'm dealing with the fruits of division, anger, bitterness, not, not bearing with one another not making allowance for each other's faults. This is God's will for us. This is God's command to us that we would walk in unity. Now, lastly, unity is God's plan for us. If I went up to you and I said, hey, this is what I want from you, and by the way, that's a command, you'd be like, what? I ain't doing that. Who are you? I'm not doing what you say. But if I go up to you and I say, hey, this is what I would like. This is what I need from you. And here's why. Here's why this little investment you're going to make is going to pay huge dividends. It's going to bless you and bless the people around you. Here's the vision behind it. You'd be like, okay, cool. Because you understand the why. You understand the plan. God doesn't tell us what to do, command us, and then not leave us without a promise of the result. Every command comes with a promise. That's a great way to read scripture, side note. Every time you see a command, look for the promise. There's fulfillment of promises when we're obedient. Obedience produces miracles, that's a sidebar. But every time you see a command, look for a promise. So we said his command is unity. What's the promise? John 17, 23. May they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. Unity is God's plan for the redemption of the world. Unity is God's plan for the redemption of the world. Now, what if I told you that no amount of schooling, no amount of preparation, no amount of small group mastermind study or methodology could possibly reach the world as well as a church being united? That's countercultural, isn't it? Now, I'm not discounting school, methodology, plan. Sure, do it. But our plan, our syllabus has to submit to his plan, his syllabus. If we're looking to our accolades and our resume to accomplish the will of God versus the plan of God, come on, it ain't gonna work. You're trying to play the game and ignoring the owner's manual. He says, here's the plan. This is also my command and my will, by the way. 
Unity is the thing that's going to reach a broken world and bring about the redemption that God has for us. Unity in the church. It says it right here. They'll be in such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me. And what else? That you love them. The world's gonna know that they're loved. The world's gonna be convicted of sin. The world's gonna be welcomed in when we're unified, y'all. It's God's plan for redemption. Here's what the scripture says. Ephesians chapter two, verse 19. This is talking of y'all and me. You are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God, members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Christ Jesus as the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is being joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. In him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That scripture says that we are all living stones being, being pulled together into this beautiful temple where God himself can dwell. That's beautiful, huh? The temple's beautiful. How beautiful is a stone by itself though? How beautiful is a stone with social media, taking selfies and, and screaming out their accolades and their platform. You're like, bro, you're a stone. Now, again, like I said earlier, this does not negate your giftings. Your giftings are beautiful. They're from God. They're unique and they're valuable. But contextually, they're most valuable and most utilized in the body. Because otherwise, you're just screaming your own accolades when God has this collective unity for us, this collaboration and celebration for us being made one as a temple where his Holy Spirit can dwell. Yes, you are indwelt by the Spirit solo as well but you're only fractionally seeing the benefit of your gift when you're alone. We're designed to function together. We're designed to be built together into this temple, together in unity. In the Old Testament, 2 Chronicles chapter seven, Solomon builds a temple for God. And for the whole chapter, chapter seven, Solomon prays and dedicates this temple. And at the end of chapter seven, he says, amen. And it says, fire falls from heaven. Smoke consumes the temple and God's spirit made his dwelling in the temple. Crazy, huh? The entire nation gathered together in unity and fire fell and consumed the temple and God's presence dwelt among them. Unity brought that about. You might say, oh, that's the Old Testament. God doesn't manifest like that anymore. What do we see in Acts? On the day of Pentecost, chapter two, it says that all the believers were gathered together in like mind and didn't count anything that they had as their own, but shared with everyone. And as they gathered together, waiting for the promise of the Holy Spirit, as was commanded by Jesus himself, they wait in unity, having everything in common. And then all of a sudden, what happens? The room shakes, tongues of fire fall, and family happens in unity. Fire falls in the New Testament when brothers and sisters are gathered in unity and then what do they go do? They go share the good news of Jesus and Jesus resurrected with the entire world, every tribe, every tongue, every nation. That's what happens when unity happens amongst the brothers and sisters. When we gather together, family happens, unity happens and a broken and hurting world is blessed because of it. Fire falls when we gather together in unity. 
Now you might raise your hand and say like, well, that was back then, you know? Like they didn't have COVID and the 2020 election and social media. And for many reasons, you might be right. But let me ask you, who was in that upper room? This would have been the most multicultural, multi-generational, multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multilingual group of women, children, prostitutes, tax collectors, normal people. You don't think they had nothing to disagree on? Bro, they disagreed. They disagreed on everything, but what united them was so much stronger than what divided them. They were united by an experience with Jesus and were offered the same thing, an invitation into that, an experience with Jesus, because that which unites us is so much stronger than that which would divide us. We're united by so much more than a six-hour border wait, churros and puppies. We're united by the King of Kings, by His Spirit, by the Lord of Lords. And when we unite like that, fire falls and the world is blessed. This is God's plan. It's His will, it's His command. And when we follow His will and His command, His plan can happen. No amount of your accolades, no amount of your resume, the unity of the body. That's what blesses the broken and hurting world. That's what the world needs to see. And it says right here that when we do this, the world's gonna know that they're loved. When they see this multiracial, multiethnic, multigenerational, multilingual group gathering together in unity, binded by that which unites them, not divided by that which would seek to separate them, they're invited in. They're convicted of sin and they're welcomed. They're welcomed in. This is God's plan for the redemption of the world. But it's not just for the world, it's for us too. It's for us too. Unity is gonna bring about the revival that God has for us. Unity is God's plan for revival. There's been a quote floating around. I don't know who initially said it. If you're watching and you said this, God bless you. It said, the last revival looked like fire. The next revival is gonna look like family. I believe that to be true, but I actually believe it's pretty much saying the same thing. Because when the family gets together, what happens? The fire falls. When the family gets together, the fire falls. When the family gets together, collaboration happens. When the family gets together, celebration happens. When the family gets together, generational unity happens. Ethnic, cultural, racial, lingual unity happens. That's where the fire's at. That's where the fire is going to fall from. How foolish of us to get in these little holy huddles with people who look like us and say, let's go change the world. You ain't going to change anybody because you're only going to attract the people who look like you, who talk like you, who act like you. Diversity is a crucial element of unity in the church. Your gifts aren't negated by our unity. In fact, they're contextualized, but diversity is crucial to the unity of the church. And unity of the church is God's plan for the redemption of the world. And it's God's plan for revival in the church. You guys want God's plan? Come on, we want God's plan. This is God's plan for the revival of the church and the redemption of the world. Now, as I was planning this message, I, I just felt like of those five things, culture, race, language, ethnicity, and generation. I think the Lord highlighted to me the generation. 
and maybe that's a word just for us, maybe that's for the global church, I don't know, but generational unity, I think is absolutely crucial. And as I was praying for the different generations in the room, I, I just felt like the Lord had a commission for you. So I'd love to share this with you generationally. First of all, to all the generations, we need you. We need you, we need your gift. The temple is being built with living stones where the fire can fall, where God's spirit can dwell. But without your stone, the temple's incomplete. The beauty of the church, the dwelling place of God isn't full. Without you, your gifting is crucial. Remember, unity does not negate your gift. It just contextualizes it. To the Gen X and the baby boomers in the room, I just felt, man, I just felt God's heart for y'all. That it's so easy. And I'm not putting this on you. Maybe you don't feel this way, but I believe there's some who do. It's so easy to think like your best years are behind you that you might as well just hang it up. And man, I just think that's, that just breaks God's heart. I think that is giving in to the attack of the enemy that comes to kill, steal, and destroy all that you've done, all that God's done through you. And I think the word God had for you is that your best days are ahead. Your best days are ahead. And if you're still breathing, if your heart's still beating, he's not done. He's not done with you. To the Gen X and the baby boomers, we need you. We need your wisdom. I know from working with the youth, we're, they're hungry for this. I'll, say, I'll speak for myself, I'm hungry for this. I think out of pride, we're like paying this dummy tax where we go, that's what I call it, where we go make all these mistakes where Y'all already made them. We need your wisdom. We need you to say, hey, don't do that. Don't run with scissors. No one told me that. I'm running. Like, we need you guys. We need your wisdom. We need your experience. We need your resources. We need y'all. Your best days are ahead. You're not forgotten. To the millennials in the room, y'all might not have resource, but you have time. We need your time. We need your strength. We need your creativity. We need your vigor. We need you. And I know this is an especially tough age, millennials, because the world is telling you, use your time, your strength, your creativity, your vigor to put yourself as high as possible at the expense of whoever comes in your way. But the kingdom economy flips that and says, you wanna be great, you better serve. Your time, strength, creativity, and vigor, they ain't for you. They're for the body. And if you're over here like a little stone shouting about how smooth and how cool you are, it's temporary, it's fleeting. It doesn't do anything. But that same gift is contextualized in the body. Your time, strength, vigor, and creativity, they mean something here. They mean something. And it's achieving this plan that God has for the redemption of the world and the revival in the church. And lastly, to my Gen Zers, 
Man, y'all's childlike faith. Do y'all see our students worshiping up here? Man. Yeah, that childlike faith. Who wants that again? That's so beautiful. That childlike faith, that childlike expectancy that God's going to show up. The Bible says we got to be born again. It says unless you have faith like a child, you can't enter the kingdom of heaven. Gen Z, we need y'all. We need you guys. Each generation, your gifts are beautiful. Y'all are pretty rocks. I can see y'all. Y'all look good. Y'all are pretty rocks. But God wants to make us into a temple. He wants to unify us. He wants his fire to fall. The next revival is going to look like that kind of family. Redemption of the world is going to look like family. Conviction of sin is going to look like family. It's going to look like collaboration. It's going to look like celebration. It's going to look multi-ethnic, multi-racial, multi-generational, multilingual. That's what God's unity is. That's what he has for us. And that's his will. That's his command. We ought not take it lightly. And that is his plan for the world. If you're on board with that will, that command and that plan, would you stand with me? If you have our app or the website, you can see my sermon notes this morning. I have two quick questions for you. Which fruit are you seeing in your life? That of division or that of unity? Which fruit are you seeing in your life? And secondly, how can you make every effort to be united with brothers and sisters in Christ? We said it's a command. How can you be obedient? Don't email me. Don't tell me, don't tell me what I can, how, what can you do? Because we're all part of the temple, right? That verse goes on to say we got the prophets, the teachers, the pastors, like that's good, but it says our job is just to equip the saints that we could all become the temple. What can you do to be united with your brothers and sisters? And if we believe that it's God's will, it's his command and it's his plan for redemption and revival, come on. Guys, the Lord's on the move and it's going to happen through our unity, our collective unity. If you're on board with that, will you just close your eyes? If you feel like that's something to be received, you can open your hands. Or if there's something to let go, any, any of those fruits of division, Lord, we let those go. We release division, Father. We embrace unity, Father. Father, we thank you for, we thank you for Jesus, the ultimate unifying man, God. We thank you for him. We thank you that he humbled himself to our state to purchase for us the unity among his body, Lord. I think the church is limping. We got back pain, Father. We're not united. Thank you, Lord, that that which unites us is so much stronger than that which divides us. We pray that we would live in that reality, Lord. We thank you for your plan of unity. 
We thank you for your will and your command that we eagerly pursue and eagerly maintain this unity, Father. This morning with open hands and hearts, we commit our obedience to your command, Lord. We acknowledge your will, we obey your command, and we partner with your plan for the redemption of the world and the revival of your church. We trust you, Lord, and that's what we want, God. We wanna see it in our lifetime, God. We wanna see it in our lifetime. Thank you that every individual person in this room matters. Their gifts are not negated. Their gifts are not negated, just contextualized. This is where it's for unity in the church. Bring your gift. We need you individually. Bring your gift. We need you collectively. We thank you, Father. We choose to partner with you this morning. We love you and we praise you and we worship you and we give you this morning in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Can y'all give God a shout of praise? Let's go. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Hey, there's six students up here ready to pray for you. Is that six? There's five. There's five students up here with the childlike faith, bigger than a mustard seed, ready to pray for y'all. So come forward. If the Lord's pricking your heart right now, do not leave without receiving prayer. We love you guys. Thanks for being here this morning for Student Takeover. God bless y'all.